0: I will actually have my kids with me later at the portico, so if you want to meet those crazy uh, live wires, as Sally called them, uh, they will be there. Also, my husband Travis uh, will be there. We are actually celebrating 13 years of marriage today. Um, And so, lucky 13, right? Um, So, you know, we did the quick, bye, love you, see you later uh, this morning, which is uh, at 13 years of marriage, kind of just (laughs) what you do, right? Um, well, like I said, th- Sally said, I am so excited to be here. Um, my name is Amy, and I think it's been probably about four or five years since I've stood in this uh, building and preached. I was on staff at Hyde Park from about 2013 to 15, where I helped with worship and communications, and then uh, God called me off to a church in Lakeland and then to Tampa General to do some chaplaincy work, and now I find myself back here. Worshipping at the portico each Sunday night, and uh, and just overjoyed to be with you in worship today. So I also commend you, each of you, for being here today. Uh, this is what's known as that kind of low Sunday between Christmas and New Year's, where um, people perhaps go on vacation or perhaps sleep in. So the fact that each of you are here today uh, is testament to the fact that you love this place, or you're sick of your family and you needed a break (laughs) and wanted to get out. Um, Maybe you're trying to escape some of those overstayers, those people who are still on your couch or perhaps still in your guest room. And so for whatever reason that you find yourself here today, I am glad you're here. You know, Christmas is one of those times where we often say some things to keep the peace. I don't know if that's what happens at your house, around your family dinner table. Uh Maybe you will say uh, everything from, I love your new haircut that's maybe a little less than the truth. Or your turkey's not too dry, that's a little less than the truth. Or maybe even I haven't really been paying attention to politics, maybe that's not exactly the truth. Has anybody seen that movie that comes on, I think, every Christmas, Love Actually? In one of the scenes, uh, a man is professing his love to a spouse's (coughs) wife, or to a best friend's spouse, and he says, at Christmas, you tell the truth. And that's the Hollywood version, right? That unrequited love sonnet. At Christmas you tell the truth, the truth is I love you. I'm not gonna do anything about it, but I love you. But what if there was something more than that Hollywood version of at Christmas you tell the truth? I would argue that there is a deeper meaning of the truth that we tell at Christmas. If we look at our story that Sally read in the Gospel of Matthew, we see that within 18 verses of Matthew's storytelling, we go from the Magi's gifts of gold to terror and a midnight flight to Egypt. It's kind of a heavy story to read just four days after Christmas. If I was the editor on this, I probably would have wanted to close with the scene of the exotic Magi kneeling and giving these exotic gifts to the Christ child. But That's not what Matthew does. Matthew tells a story that is grittier and more disturbing. But also, ultimately, probably more realistic than any Hallmark movie or even nativity that we see on church lawns. Because the thing is, is that Jesus' birth upsets the order. He comes as God's chosen king, the one that is going to bring about peace and justice and the equity of the kingdom of God. And so, all the kings who put power and privilege first are terrified. And Herod that we read in the story, he is a good example, but he is by no means the only example. He is terrified, so terrified, of the promise that God will, in this child, restore peace and justice that he is willing to slaughter the infants of an entire region. And so Joseph, warned by an angel, flees this carnage and he moves his family to Egypt. This is a grim account, like I said, to read so close to the Christmas story but it is not far-fetched. We think about how many families, even at this moment, are being dislocated or separated from one another. How many children are experiencing hunger or starvation while we eat too much and throw away leftovers? And how many families, even within our own communities and congregations, are contending with their own private sorrows and griefs, maybe even exacerbated by these expectations of a perfect Christmas. So while this story that Matthew tells is dark and it's difficult, it's by no means far-fetched. Matthew's proclamation of Jesus and his entry into the world, it puts us into a dark story. Fear, displaced people, it's a reality that some of us know and some of us live. But what Matthew's gospel teaches us is that at Christmas, We tell the truth not by naming what we hope the world can be, but by naming what the world is and proclaiming God's joy despite and through it. You see, God is the principal actor here in this story, and it's God who sets the star in the sky for the magi. It's God who sends the angels to warn of coming danger, and it's God who hides this holy family in safety It's God who sends them home, ultimately, too. You know, I think it's tempting for us to live in these kind of bookends of stories, the Christmas story of great joy, and perhaps even the Easter story of resurrection. But honestly, that's not where Jesus spends most of his life. He spends most of his life in this messy middle, and that's where we spend most of our lives. We live together with Jesus in this messy story, and we learn to tell the truth, to tell the truth of messiness, of fear, and of our brokenness. So as we look deeper at this scripture today, I want us to think about what would it look like if we were to tell the truth about what happens in this Christmas story? What would it look like if we look deeper at these characters that we thought we maybe knew at this Christmas narrative, and what might we learn about God, about ourselves, and what Jesus' birth meant for the world he was born into and for our world today. So the first characters that we come across are these, these magi. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I thought these magi were these kind of otherworldly men, cloaked in velvet, maybe they were a magician or a king. In the Bible, we read that they um, their number isn't specified. We like to land on three, but their number isn't specified, and they're known as wise men from the east from Babylon and Persia, and they were thought to be astrologers that served the king. Now later tellings of the story, they do identify them by name. Melchior hailed from Persia, Gaspar, its a very Tampa name, uh, from India, and Balthazar from Arabia. And each of the gifts they brought had special meaning. Gold signified Jesus' status as king, frankincense represented the infant's divinity, and identity as a son of God, and myrrh touched upon the fact that Jesus was human and would die. So the story we know about the Magi are these gifts that they bring. But there's something else, a deeper truth about these Magi. Before they went to Bethlehem, the Magi had a meeting with Herod. And Herod said, look, I have a problem, and I need your help. I need you to find this child. I think he's somewhere in Bethlehem, And I need you to ask around and use your sources and find this child, follow this star, and then report back to me. And don't worry, I'll treat him well when I find him. Instead of visiting Jesus in the stable, the wise men, or after they visit Jesus in the stable, the wise men don't go back to King Herod. They went home by another road and they decide to avoid Herod and his directive. And Joseph and Mary and Jesus fled while they are taking a circuitous route home. Instead of taking out his anger on Jesus, Herod takes out his anger on these innocent children. He slaughters them in Bethlehem. You know, throughout human history, we see other people that remind us of these magi, people that choose perhaps not to participate in the way things are. Dissent, protest, even civil disobedience. when these wise men decide not to facilitate Herod's plan, I wonder if I could have had the same courage to step back and say, this is wrong. This is not something I wanna be a part of. I met one of these holy resistors, I'll call them, uh, when I was sitting at her hospital bed. She looked a little different. She wasn't wearing robes of velvet, but her name was Nan, And Nan lived her whole life fighting for justice. Justice for herself, but more importantly, justice for her neighbor. See, you see, Nan grew up in a poor white community in North Carolina, and though her skin was white, she knew that she had experienced all the privilege and the power that came along with it. She knew that that wasn't right, that she experienced this privilege and power while some of her friends who had darker skin did not. So Nan spent her years protesting segregation and Jim Crow. And later in her life, she became an advocate for a refugee uh, resettlement uh, organization. And she helped families that were coming, seeking asylum in the United States, and she helped them acclimate to life here in America, teaching them how to navigate our big grocery stores and our bus systems, navigating those unfamiliar customs and ways of life. And the stories that she told me as I sat by her hospital bed, they really weren't about her. They were about her friends and her neighbors, even strangers that she had met. People whose suffering and pain that she couldn't even imagine how to bear. People that she called brother and sister. Like the Magi, Nan chose to risk her own comfort and her privilege so that others might have access to freedom that they might find a way home to safety. But see, the thing about Nan that was amazing is that she didn't make herself the hero of the story. And the Magi don't either. The gift of the Magi that they bring is the risk that they take so that God's kingdom could unfold. That the Christ child could live and grow and bring life to all. So when we tell the truth at Christmas, I wonder how might we be people of peace? What are the ways that we are working so that others might know God's peace? We turn then to this character of Herod. Herod is a character that is not sympathetic at all. There is not nearly a sliver of goodness that we can find in this text about him. And so it's easy to read the scripture and say, what a horrible person. Who would order the death of innocent children? What pride, what cruelty. But if we're telling the truth at Christmas, the honest truth is that we live in a world where Herod still rule. Herod and his resistance to the reign of God remain alive and well today. Yesterday, uh, or actually Friday, in the New York Times, there was this op-ed that was published. And it was by a New Testament professor who talked about the story that we find ourselves in today. And he writes, why is it important that the church calendar tell this story at the beginning of the christmas season why should anyone care about the dates on the christian calendar especially in a time where people have rightly questioned the excessive quest for power that marks some corners of the church he writes that the church calendar calls christians and others to remember that we still live in a world which political leaders are willing to sacrifice the lives of innocents on the altar of power. We are forced to recall that this is a world with families on the run, where the weeping of mothers is often not enough to win mercy for their children. And then he goes on to say, but how can such a bloody and sad tale do anything but add to our despair? I think this is the important part. He says, the Christmas story must be told in the context of suffering and death, because that's the only way the story makes sense. Where else can one speak of Christmas other than a world in which racism, sexism, classism, materialism, and the devaluation of human life are commonplace? People are hurting, and the epicenter of that hurt, according to this scripture, is the focus of God's concern. Or, and to say in another words, friends, we tell the truth at Christmas, not because our lives look like Hallmark movies, but because they don't. It doesn't make sense, this Christmas story, in a world where everything is okay. People are hurting, real pain and real grief, and that's why the Christmas story needs to be told, this year and every year after. This Advent, I came across um, a new carol. Oftentimes we sing the same carols and they're beautiful and they remind us of a familiar time. But this woman has taken upon herself to look at some of our carols and to put some new and fresh life in them. Her name is Liz Weiss and she attended a conference where they were looking at these Christmas carols and a group of uh, conference attendees decided to write um, to kind of riff on Away in a Manger and write some new verses. And here's what they came up with. Away from the manger, they ran for their lives. The crying boy Jesus, a son they must hide. A dream came to Joseph. They fled in the night, and they ran, and they ran, and they ran. No stars in the sky, but the Spirit of God, led down into Egypt from Herod to hide. No place for his parents, nor, no country or tribe, and they ran, and they ran, and they ran. Stay with me, Lord Jesus, when danger is nigh, and keep us from Herod's and all of their lives. I love the Lord Jesus, the refugee king, and we sing, and we sing, and we sing. The whole song is powerful, but I particularly love that line that says, and keep us from Herod's and all of their lives. If God is inviting us to tell the truth this Christmas, I wonder how we might examine the lies that we've been believing. Do we tend to look more to the palace instead of the stable? Do we listen to the rulers and the Herods more than we listen to Jesus, our refugee king? So some time passes in this story, and the Holy Family does indeed make their way to Egypt. They settle there for a period of time, and God sends another angelic dream. And this time, the dream, it holds a happy promise, homecoming. Only the family makes it back to Israel to find that things are even worse than before. You see, Herod's son Archelaus is now ruling, and he was apparently so brutal that the Romans later removed him from power. And so God once more directs Joseph and his family, this time towards the sleepy hills in a small town called Nazareth. Now Matthew tells us this a third time because this is God fulfilling all of his promises. He made his home in a town called Nazareth so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He'll be called a Nazarene. You see, even in this Christmas story, God has not forgotten the promises of old. And surely God will not forget the promises of this present time and the promises to come. And so here's one, of, one last question this morning as we ask to tell the truth. What is God promising in your future? You see, God shows up with Joseph and Mary and the Christ child, and God shows up with us in our triumphs, in our trials, and the deepest joy that we can ever proclaim is this, that nothing can defeat God's promise of Emmanuel, God with us. God is with us, God is with you, God is with your neighbor and with the person you like the least. Will you help to sell that story of joy? Will you tell it with your time and with your money, with your gifts and your words, with your love and with your life? The truth about Christmas is that sometimes life is beautiful and wonderful and happy and it's full of goodness and grace, and God is in that. And sometimes... The truth about Christmas is that life is hard and gritty and disappointing and God is in that too holding us comforting us blessing us drawing us to him. The Christmas promise is that God indeed dwells with us and does not let us go. The Christmas story it begins with the birth of a child. We know this to be true. But it doesn't end until this child has grown up, preached God's mercy, been crucified and died, and then raised again. And actually, it doesn't end until Jesus draws each of us into that story, raising us to new life, even amidst the real challenges that face each of us here and now. This Christmas story, it matters, because sometimes the difficult truth of unjust rulers and an unjust world, and private grief, and personal pain. Even in the midst of that, God did not keep to himself. God did not stand back at a distance, but in Jesus, God joined with us, came into our story, and is still working in each of our stories, so that we might have new life, that we might experience joy, that we might in our daily lives share that joy with others. The true Christmas story happens when we look at this broken world and we proclaim that God is still working. So friends, let us declare this truth about Christmas, that nothing can defeat the power of God, Emmanuel, God with us. Let us pray. Holy God, When we come upon this part of your Christmas story, it's hard to know what to do. But God, we know that you find us in these places of deep and dark despair. You find us in the places of joy, God, and you speak. And so, God, we pray that as this Christmas season unfolds before us, God, that you would give us courage to be people who tell the truth, the truth about the way that you are working in each of our lives, God, the truth about the things that are unjust. God, and in everything, remind us that you indeed go before us and that you are with us. Amen.